So on behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the September 2015 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thank you for joining us today for another terrific conversation about a subject each of us has asked about almost, it seems, on a daily basis. Um, my first guest today is Dr. Mark Avdelovich. He's the associate professor from the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at the UC Davis Medical Center. He'll be discussing his article, Point, Does the Risk of Electronic Cigarettes Exceed Potential Benefits? Yes. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. And our next guest is Dr. Holly Middlecoff, Professor of Medicine from the Division of Cardiology at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. She'll be discussing her article, Counterpoint, Does the Risk of Electronic Cigarettes Exceed Potential Benefits? No. Holly, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. All right, guys. Well, let's just start at the very beginning. I mean, is there is there a nomenclature that we need to be aware of, like just so that we're all on the same page when you know when when someone says you know e-cigarettes or or anything like that? Is that the same as as vaping and all the other terminology that gets thrown around, or do we need to know other terms so that we can have intelligent discussions with our patients here? Well, I think this is a very good point because there's actually no real definition yet for an e-cigarette, and an e-cigarette has in fact evolved. Um, initially, the first generation looked like a cigarette, and now they look, uh, and then they've gone through looking a phase looking more like a pen, and then more recently something called a mod, which is a almost looks like the handle of a lightsaber. They're much <laughs> larger. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it is important to to define what we're talking about. But in general, an e-cigarette is something with a uh, liquid um, that contains propylene glycol. Uh, flavorings, and usually, but not always, nicotine. Um, and then it's aerosolized with a heating device, usually a battery, battery-powered uh, heating device, and uh, inhaled. Uh, it's aerosolized uh, or vapor. So there's no combustion. There's no combustion, and interestingly, there's no tobacco. So even though we call them cigarettes, they are not cigarettes at all. Mark, you, you agree with our nomenclature, so we're all on the same page? I have uh, no argument with the nomenclature, um, and uh, I, I actually don't have any argument with anything that uh, Dr. Middlecoff had to say. Oh, yeah, so let's, then, let's, then let's, let's get rolling here. And, and, Mark, why don't you lead us off? Because um, this, this comes up a lot, um, you know, this question of, of the e-cigarette. Um, it's become, uh, I think, something all of us see. It's something that patients obviously ask us about. I think it's something that, you know, sporadically you get the phone call from the media relations department of your hospital saying, you know, some local news channel wants to do a piece. Can you be a talking head for it? Um, and so it comes up in so many different ways, um, and it's rapidly evolving. So, Mark, tell us, uh, give us the, you know, the outline of, of your article and your discussion about uh, why uh, the risk of, of these e-cigarettes exceed any potential benefits. Well, uh, thanks very much, Kyle. Um, I agree with you 100% that uh, you know e-cigarettes have uh, created a situation where uh, sometimes we're faced with questions that we don't completely have an answer to. And I think where uh, e-cigarettes uh, first uh, create a problem for us is the unknown. Uh, on the surface, it appears that you know a non-combustible form of nicotine delivery should overall be more safe. Um, and I do agree that the amount of uh, research that's been done so far has not definitively proven that e-cigarettes are as uh, harmful or even close to being as harmful as a traditional combustible uh, cigarette. Uh, I agree with that. Um, the problem is we don't know 
how bad they really might be. Uh, these are uh, chemicals that uh, uh, get vaporized, get inhaled. Uh, there have been sporadic reports that there are some carcinogenic uh, components to the e-cigarette, uh, uh, namely from the byproducts of the propylene glycol. Um, there are some reports that there are even particulates that are inhaled uh, through the e-cigarette, that is that the filaments uh, that are part of the heating process break off and then you inhale these filaments into your lungs. Um, but I think the greatest issue that I have with e-cigarettes is they, they clearly represent a gateway uh, to the traditional cigarette consumption uh, that we have fought very hard to uh, decrease and limit. Um, and I think that for me, is the the biggest concern that I have regarding e-cigarettes. Holly, uh, what do you think? Well, I agree with uh, much of what Mark has said. Um, I think that uh, although we don't know everything about e-cigarettes and the vapor, we do know quite a bit. Um, there is a, a, a lot of scientific evidence on the constituents and the characteristics of the vapor. And every single study shows that the carcinogens, if detectable at all, are just orders of magnitude less than the known carcinogens um, that are in uh, tobacco cigarettes. So there's just no question about that. Um, and Mark brings up a very good point about the uh, the problems with the devices themselves, the, the poor soldering on some of the filaments may be leading to uh, uh, trace metals in the vapor that are not there in the liquid, and also some of the products, the byproducts of formaldehyde. And I think both of these issues can be addressed if the e-cigarettes were regulated. Um, you know, these are problems with uh, uh, regulation of both the devices and the liquids, which could be solved um, if... if uh, or if and when the FDA uh, begins to regulate them. On the other hand, I disagree very strongly uh, with Mark about them serving as a gateway, and I think this is actually one of the most exciting things about e-cigarettes. Um, you know, uh, we're all concerned about the youth um, being uh, kind of lured into starting to smoke and lured in by these, uh, these devices. But interestingly, uh, Although e-cigarette use has increased uh, threefold in the last year or so uh, in, the, in the high school students, what's most remarkable and it's really astounding is that to, uh, tobacco cigarette use has fallen. So last, last year it was 15.7% in high school kids, and this is CDC data that's published, um, and last year it was only 9.2%. And really, the only thing that can account for this remarked decline, which is which is half the level of tobacco cigarette smoking that it was in 2011, it used to be 18%, now it's 9%. The only thing that's happened, there haven't been new ads or new taxes or new, an increase in, in um, age for buying tobacco cigarettes. The only thing that's new are these uh, e-cigarettes. And so rather than actually proving to be a gateway, at least so far, the data that we have, the data that's out there, is that e-cigarettes seem to be a diversion, a diversion from uh, tobacco cigarettes, and, and kids are using e-cigarettes and not going on to use tobacco cigarettes. So I think that may be one of the, the uh, hidden pluses or the surprises um, that we should uh, celebrate. What do you think, Mark? 
Well, um, I, I'm, I'm sort of surprised at Holly's perspective on this, especially given the recent article in JAMA last week um, by uh, Dr. Adam Leventhal and his colleagues, um, which was done in a Los Angeles uh, population of 14-year-old adolescents. And uh, what they did is they, uh, this was a survey-based study, and they uh, went to the classrooms and administered a standard uh, survey, uh, tried to assess whether or not any of the 14-year-olds have been using e-cigarettes. And then of those who have been using e-cigarettes, when these uh, same individuals were resurveyed at six months and 12 months after the original survey, their use of the traditional cigarette was assessed as well. And uh, not surprisingly, as we have seen in other uh, California uh, data, the likelihood of being a user of uh, the traditional cigarette six months after the original survey was 30% amongst those who had uh, used e-cigarettes and only 8% uh, by those uh, who uh, had not used uh, e-cigarettes. At the 12-month follow-up, it was around a quarter of the kids um, were using the traditional cigarette uh, after they had tried uh, the e-cigarette uh, with less than 10% uh, using it if they've never tried the e-cigarette. Uh, this has also been preceded by other data uh, also uh, through the California Department of Public Health uh, showing that the use amongst 8th and 10th graders uh, was on the rise. So I suspect that the data that Holly is referring to are, are two things that were tested at different time points. In other words, as the use of e-cigarettes is uh, ramping up big time, uh, the end use uh, at the senior level in high school just hasn't caught up yet. Uh, but no doubt, in a few years, we're going to see those numbers go right back up. And I think that is by far my greatest concern. Well, I share that concern, and, and I, I did see the study, Mark, and I think it's a very neat study. And as you so correctly pointed out, it's one of the rare uh, studies that we have that's longitudinal data. So rather than just uh, taking a, asking kids at one time point, they asked the same kids uh, every six months three times um, if they had uh, used an e-cigarette or a tobacco cigarette in the last six months. And I should just say parenthetically, of course, uh, trying something, either an e-cigarette or a tobacco cigarette, is not the same, of course, as, as being addicted or being a, a habitual user, user, which was not addressed in this study. But um, if we can just look at those statistics again, uh, about eight, so these were ninth graders um, going on to 10th grade, and about 8.7% had used e-cigarettes. E and then we, so the big question is, is that resulting in a greater number of tobacco cigarette users or a lower number of tobacco cigarette users as time goes on. And, of course, the concern that it would be greater. But, in fact, it was only 3.6% uh, of these high school kids, uh, early high school kids, who were using tobacco cigarettes. So, unfortunately, we don't have all the data because we don't have these kids. We don't know what the, the baseline tobacco cigarette use uh, in these kids was you know, five years ago or ten years ago before there were e-cigarettes. We don't have that data. But we, if we compare it to uh, tenth grader uh, use in, there's a study that, they, that um, 
there's a data bank that that study references in Michigan, and it's about 4% use in 10th in graders. So it hasn't increased, and if, if we can compare uh, 9th and 10th graders in Michigan with Los Angeles, it's decreased from 4% to 3%, to 3.6%. So, again, the data just isn't there that these e-cigarettes are leading these kids to use tobacco cigarettes. It just isn't there. And, and again, the 9.2% uh, the tobacco cigarette use, uh, that data is at the same time that we're seeing the increase in, in e-cigarette use. So it really, the data, the scientific data that we have, and it's incomplete, is that e-cigarettes are serving as a diversion not a gateway towards tobacco cigarette. Otherwise, there's no way to uh, explain this dramatic fall in tobacco cigarette use across the country. What about for the uh, ongoing adult user who smokes cigarettes at home and when they're out, uh, but then uses the e-cigarette, you know, because at work you can't, etc. So doesn't use it remotely as any form of a... Uh, nicotine cessation device, which of course, or smoking cessation device, which of course they've not been studied for, nor are they marketed as. Um, but uh, in that particular scenario, all you're doing is substituting a form temporarily based on the rules of where you work, um, but you're not actually making any kind of medical changes. Are you asking me? Um, I'm asking anybody. Oh. You guys, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, I, I and I, I, well, I think that uh, we shouldn't be allowing people to use e-cigarettes in places where tobacco cigarettes are not used. I think that they, there should be similar restrictions about um, place of use. So I, I don't think that they, they should, you know, people that use tobacco cigarettes should then be able to use e-cigarettes at work or in the park or wherever the tobacco cigarettes are banned. And, uh, you know, I think that... We'd much rather see people quit than use uh, fewer tobacco cigarettes, but fewer cigarette, tobacco cigarettes is a step in the right direction, and that's a, that's a good thing. And there actually have been a couple uh, studies looking at e-cigarettes as a cessation device. You're right, they're not marketed that way, but they, they have been studied. One study in New Zealand was a randomized study, and uh, they looked at e-cigarettes with nicotine, e-cigarettes without nicotine, and they compared that to a nicotine patch. And they found that um, all of them performed similarly well in terms of smoking cessation. That is to say, none of them performed very well at all, um, but, but the e-cigarettes with and without nicotine were about the same as the uh, a nicotine patch. And so I think that there is a role. And, you know, probably the, um, the most important uh, feature there is that so many more adults um, who smoke are likely to try an e-cigarette or use an e-cigarette that if, if we get 10% or 8% cessation rate with an e-cigarette, population-wide, um, that could actually amount to quite a few uh, tobacco cigarettes smokers quitting or at least changing over to e-cigarette use instead. What do you think, Mark? So I certainly agree with some of the statistics that Holly has quoted. Um, the, the problem is that we as physicians have to represent to our patients what we, well, to, to some degree, have confidence is the truth and right. the the current status of 
the e-cigarette user is that they use both e-cigarettes and a traditional cigarette. That is the most common user that exists out there. There are very few people that just smoke or vapor, vape an e-cigarette, and they have no contact with combustible tobacco products. So the safety of co-ingestion, co-inhalation, is completely unknown. So, for example, let's say your patient has moderate COPD, but they don't know it. And now they go back and forth from their traditional combustible cigarette at home to vaping um, another form of nicotine that now has a different set of uh, toxicants that are associated with that activity. What's the safety of doing that? Is that going to trigger a potential uh, exacerbation? In fact, um, back in, I believe, 2012, uh, chest uh, published a study by Dr. Vardavas that showed that within five minutes of inhaling e-cigarette vapors, these were volunteers who do not have any kind of respiratory disease, that they demonstrated to have a worsening uh, restrictive uh, airflow um, as a result of that inhalation. So uh, these uh, products have the potential to serve as a uh, trigger for an exacerbation of either asthma or COPD. Um, and so without the knowledge of what is safe, what is not safe, it's very difficult as a physician to say to your patient who's sitting in front of you, go ahead, use it, should be fine, I'm not that concerned, because we don't have the data. Yeah, I, I don't think I'd ever represent... Uh, to a patient that, uh, that everything's going to be fine if you use an e-cigarette. But I think that there actually is a lot of data that, uh, as I mentioned before, addresses the levels of the toxicant. So either there are no toxicants or there are just orders of na- magnitude less in uh, e-cigarette vapor compared to the combusted tobacco smoke. So I think that there is data there. And it, interestingly, there is data on uh, lung uh, uh, function test. Now, the the study that you mentioned published in Chest, uh, they did not see any uh, decline in the uh, measures of uh, respir- uh, respiratory function that are used clinically, the FEV1 the, uh, and the uh, FVC. So, you know, clinically used uh, um, parameters. And also, there is a study uh, that inadvertently used uh, uh, or followed. Uh, dual users. There was a, a group of people who either who were tobacco cigarette smokers with uh, 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 diminished uh, respiratory function, who then switched either entirely to e-cigarettes or became dual users and used fewer tobacco cigarettes. And in that study, at a year's time, their clinically measured uh, uh, parameters for uh, respiratory function were improved, statistically improved. So I think that you know there's. Clearly, data that there are fewer toxins in the in the e-cigarette vapor, and when we study those in people, not surprisingly, uh, the results are that there's less uh, adverse effects, uh, and this is in, in respiratory function. It, it seems that the well, crux of this discussion centers around whether we, as a profession, endorse the use by our patients versus sort of shrug uh, if our patients ask about it. Does that seem to summarize it on one level? 
Well, I, I, you know, I think that it's, it's okay to tell your patients that we don't know everything about e-cigarettes, and we don't. Um, and there are certainly lots of studies that are going on. But I think that it's irresponsible to shrug and say we don't, you know, we don't know anything and, we, and they're not perfectly safe, so we can't recommend them. You know, I've had people who are addicted to these lethal tobacco uh, cigarettes in my office and um, we're discussing the various options. And they say, well, I, you know, I don't want to try an e-cigarette because those are bad for you. And I, I think that... All of the the um, the bad press that e-cigarettes have gotten, um, probably out of out of uh, real sincere and ju- and concern over our youth, is that they've gone too far and really done a disservice to people who are addicted to tobacco cigarettes and just can't quit. And boy, if I'd much prefer my my patients to to give up tobacco cigarettes and use e-cigarettes. And I think it just in speaking to a patient, I'd be very honest and say, we, this is what we know. This is what we don't know. There's no longitudinal data, um, but there's a lot of longitudinal data about tobacco cigarettes, and it's the number one killer um, in the United States. It's a reversible risk factor for uh, cardiovascular disease and pulmonary disease. And we know that. Um, so I think that um, it really does a disservice to overstate the unknown about e-cigarettes because there is, you know, they've been around a while, and there is there is a fair amount of scientific evidence that they are not nearly in the same ballpark as tobacco cigarettes. Mark? Yeah, let me just uh, comment a little bit on the respiratory function. The 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 technique that was used by Dr. Vardavas in 2012 is a very uh, highly sensitive and highly specific technique to identify reactivity. I mean, it is it is probably much more of uh, what we in the respiratory world would consider a gold standard for identifying uh, sub-airway collapse, which is what that's identifying, that your airways are becoming um, uh, collapsed and therefore the impedance goes up. Uh, a much more sensitive way of picking up early exacerbations. It has um, been used clinically uh, in several uh, different studies. It's not something that's clinically available because it's expensive, but it's a much better way to look at uh, airway um, uh, respiratory, uh, acute changes in respiratory function as compared to FEV1 and FEC, which is something that changes over time. Um, that would be number one. Uh, number two, if, if, if these were really such a great idea and I ran a tobacco company, why would I bend over backwards to buy these companies left and right and invest like I've never invested before if sooner or later this is going to lead to my product being smoked less, uh, particularly by young folks? Um, these things work to introduce you or to keep you hooked on nicotine. That's really what these products are going to be doing for us in the future. Are they less toxic potentially than traditional cigarettes? Yes, probably. But in terms of their safety, and it's, it's not clear, and particularly in developing lungs or in lungs that are already damaged, I have great concern when my patients uh, tell me, that they're switching to e-cigarettes. And I've personally taken care of uh, more than a handful of patients who switched to an e-cigarette 
and uh, ended up in the hospital with a COPD exacerbation because of those direct irritative uh, effects. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, certainly uh, the the published data would uh, would suggest differently. You know, the published data is showing that there's improvement in respiratory function tests and that they are harm reduction in patients with asthma. So, um, I guess your personal experience is a little bit different um, from what's out there. I'd also say that um, in the uh, package insert for the medically approved uh, licensed uh, nicot uh, nicotine inhaler, one of the warnings on the uh, nicotine inhaler package insert is that it can, you know, exacerbate asthma. So I think there are, uh, so I think that it's one of those things that um, even though this is a known effect of uh, what's in a nicotine inhaler, which is largely nicotine and excipient, um, the FDA approved it and licensed it and thought it was safe enough. So I think that, again, we're, we're not uh, comparing e-cigarettes uh, to uh, nothing here. We're comparing it to uh, tobacco cigarettes, and, and we all know that tobacco cigarettes are lethal, lead to heart disease, lung disease, um, strokes, cardiovascular disease. So I think that, um, you know, if you look at the comparator there, um, the data would support that e-cigarettes that e are, are, mu are much safer. So the comparison to the nicotine inhaler, the, uh, the, uh, my objection to that uh, comparison is that the FDA required that that device go through safety evaluation. In other words, that device that product was marketed as a cessation device, so it had to go through the usual uh, process that such a product would go through. These products, the e-cigarettes, have not gone through anything like that. We can talk about some anecdotal studies here and there which have very small numbers, but across a large population, I would be very surprised that those who have existing, pre-existing lung disease who use e-cigarettes on a regular basis would overall and long-term see benefit from that switch. Well, I think we both agree, Mark, that uh, the e-cigarettes need to be regulated, and we need to know what's in them, uh, and uh, the devices need to be regulated as well so that they don't superheat formaldehyde and, and, and generate uh, carcinogens and, and that the metal pieces aren't uh, being... Uh, uh, falling into the vapor as well. So I, we agree and, on that. We agree and that they're not bubblegum flavored? <laughs> yeah. Well, whatever gets somebody with tobacco. Uh, well, no, but as far as uh, some of the flavorings, I mean, you can make the counter argument that that's perfectly designed solely to market towards younger uh, people. You know, that uh, because there's, a, there's and, I'm, and maybe that's the next question in regards to regulations on sale and marketing, since these are not a regulated device in the traditional sense because they're not a medically prescribed product, um, but they seem to be all falling under the, you have to at least be 18. But, you know, the advertising that you see for these devices definitely points very hard towards the rebellion factor, take your freedom back, you know, no longer are you going to be a leper for being a smoker, now you can do this and you're cool. You know, yeah, no, very I think that, geared towards a younger audience. Yeah, well, I again, we agree that that there need to be regulations. Um, as I've said in my counterpoint, there should be regulations not only on uh, who uses them and who who's, who they're sold to, but who they're marketed to and where the marketing takes place. We we agree on that totally. Right. W one thing that I think that um, 
I, in my mind, and I'm not a health policy person, but in my mind, I think that e-cigarettes probably, although they shouldn't be sold to anybody less than uh, 18 years of age and shouldn't be marketed, and again, I don't think that they should be used or allowed to be used in places that tobacco cigarettes are are not allowed to be used. Um, I think we agree on all those things. I think, though, that uh, they should be taxed differently than tobacco cigarettes. And I think that if we continue to heavily tax tobacco cigarettes but not e-cigarettes, we could we could change some behavior there. And maybe somebody who is addicted to tobacco cigarettes may, uh, for many reasons, one of which being that they're less expensive, may then switch over to an e-cigarette, which, again, uh, you know, the, the scientific evidence um, suggests and supports the fact that they are less uh, – uh, less toxic, certainly less toxic, and, and less prone to cause illness than than tobacco cigarettes. What do you think? There was there was actually a really nice editorial uh, last week in the New England Journal about differential taxes uh, for nicotine yielding products. Mm. Dr. Chalupka. I wrote a very nice uh, tutorial about this, about you know the idea of evolving uh, tax policy towards nicotine-yielding products to try to move trends towards use uh, towards various devices. Uh huh. Well, I, I if I didn't see the editorial, but if if it is along the lines of what I just said, I support it. It is. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> good, good deal. And I also want to share one other thing that I think Mark and I both agree on is the our massive distrust for the uh, combusted tobacco industry. And anything that they are involved in and are supporting, I'm suspicious of. But I think that they probably are just, um, you know, licking their lips, thinking that they're going to, even though they lose a lot of tobacco cigarette users, they'll have uh, a new market with e-cigarettes. And those things aren't cheap. True. Final thoughts, guys. We've been talking for a while. I want to make sure to be respectful of everyone's time. Um, any final thoughts? No, I just wanted to thank you very much for the opportunity to, uh, to sit down and chat with Mark and, and you about these. Uh, so I think there is a lot of controversy, and I hope that we cleared the air a little bit. Yes, Kyle, I, I agree with Holly. I really appreciate the opportunity. I think for uh, the majority of the points, actually, Holly and I are on the same exact point. Uh, we'd like to see more data. We'd like to see more research. Uh, we'd certainly like to see our patients uh, smoke less in terms of traditional uh, cigarettes. And uh, just one final point about the regulation. You know, we're we're fighting actually very hard here in California. I'm in involved with the legislature to some degree uh, with some bills that have been proposed to regulate the e-cigarette in in a similar way that we regulate uh, traditional cigarettes. And what's what's really been unfortunate, even in a state like California, uh, all we're asking for is that the resources that are used to make sure that a gas station or a cigar cigarette shop does not sell to minors those resources that are devoted for the traditional cigarette, that those same resources be devoted to looking at e-cigarettes. Are you, you know, selling to minors? And the bill has had a lot of difficulty getting through, uh, mostly because the the private businesses that are now making uh, an enormous profit off of the you know the vape shops, the yeah. uh, increased interest in uh, tobacco products vis-a-vis you know luring you into your shop with. Uh, 
in e-cigarette, uh, their their lobby is incredibly powerful, uh, suspiciously powerful, to be quite honest. <laughs> um, and and and, and it, it's really if if it's this hard to just make sure that little kids don't get these devices in California, I can't imagine what it must be like in you know Tennessee or North Carolina. Yeah, well, I think vape shops are where the devices belong, actually. It's when they're at the 7-Eleven that I'm a little concerned. Um, but you're right. We have to have regulations, and we have to enforce them. Absolutely. Perfect. Guys, thanks so much. This was, a, as expected, a fantastic discussion, and I think gave a lot of great information for our listeners to be able to help frame the discussion for themselves with their patients as well. And, you know, it's obviously evolving for all of us, um, you know, front and center. So, uh, again, thank you for bringing insight to everybody with both your views. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle.